Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Sabina Suri, who is the co-founder and CSO at BoxFox. She's also a Forbes 30 under 30. BoxFox has a very clear mission. It's to create stronger relationships through beautiful and personal gifts enabled by simple user experiences, and they are absolutely crushing it. In 2020, they're on track to do around eight to $10 million in revenue, 30 employees at the company, and they've grown into really one of the top companies for gifting, not only uh, personal gifts, but also a corporate side as well. And this company started back in 2014, and Sabina will share her story of growing the company up until this point. You can learn more about BoxFox at shopboxfox.com. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review. And of course, the weekly grind, my weekly newsletter, comes out every Friday. You can sign up at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Tips, tools, strategies for growing a business, different resources I'm finding on, on growing businesses, on companies, on marketing, all sorts of goodies every single week delivered to you. Without further ado... Here is Sabina Suri, co-founder and CSO at BoxFox. Sabina, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great to have you on and talk about BoxFox. And uh, there's a lot, a lot of questions I always have about every, every single company. Where I want to start, though, with you is how did BoxFox get started in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So we started uh, back in 2014. So I can't believe it's been six years. Um, <laughs> And uh, my co-founder, so there's three of us co-founders, Chelsea, our CEO, and I um, met during our first job. So we were working in advertising um, at a firm called Ogilvy uh, based out of New York, but we were in the Culver City office. And we met, hit it off, kept in touch. She knew Jenny, our third co-founder, from her days at UCLA. They were sorority sisters. And essentially, we kind of had a mutual friend that was hospitalized um, and we couldn't get to her because we were all working crazy, crazy hours. She's totally fine now. She actually works for the company. So full circle (laughs) moment, but, (laughs) um, but she, you know, the main, the main kind of aha moment was why is it so difficult to kind of send her a beautiful, meaningful gesture um, that wasn't flowers or sort of like an Amazon box. And we started kind of thinking about that question more and realizing as our friends kind of moved across the country after graduation, you know, we were facing those kinds of situations more often. Um, and we were like, this is a great problem um, we want to solve. Prior to that, did you have any entrepreneurial experience? Um, personally, no. So I would consider myself a pretty color in the lines kind of person prior <laughs> to all of this. Um, and so I think I was always entrepreneurial at heart, but I hadn't actually started a business or anything like that. Um, Chelsea had, and uh, Jenny had a little bit more entrepreneurial experience. And with that too then, so you have this idea, you know there's a problem to solve, like there's not a great way to have these gifts to to different friends and you're like, okay, we should start this. How does it begin? Like, What's the first idea? Let's just make a single kind of gift box that we can send somewhere? What was that kind of initial idea or initial uh, uh, like package you had? Yeah, so it definitely started with the idea of like some sort of heel sympathy box, uh, which was was something, you know, that was clinical in product selection, but not in kind of like the feeling it evoked. Um, So that was sort of like 
the jumping off point, but obviously we knew that was like one use case across a number of different kind of like milestones we could curate around. And so um, that was kind of the, the initial point, but our first step was really just kind of all brainstorming. It felt very like college group project, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a real company yet. And so we were kind of like on our laptops and their apartment in Venice and just kind of shooting around ideas. Um, for different themes and products, kind of thinking about dream brand partners that we would want to integrate in the boxes based on our own kind of taste and um, brand affinities. And so uh, that was kind of the initial, the initial concepting phase, but yeah, we basically were like, we want to put together a line of curated gift boxes around different themes and launch it on a website. That was the initial concept. Yeah. And to that point then, I mean, did you have an idea right away of who kind of the target audience was going to be and like what, how are you going to reach them? Yeah. I mean, we definitely felt like we were creating this company for ourselves and and women like (laughs) us. That was sort of like the initial, um, initial demographic. And of course it's expanded much beyond that, which we're so grateful for, but I think it's always really helpful to start as specifically as possible. Um, and in terms of how to reach them, we knew that, you know, our target audience was on Instagram. Again, this is back in 2014, where I think as a brand, um, from a grassroots perspective, you could be doing a lot with just like engaging with communities and, you know, using the right hashtags and following, you know, like-minded accounts and really engaging with your community. So that was huge for us as well as kind of having our brand story very clearly defined, um, sort of our mission and our values. So it was really about creating the structure around the brand and kind of like what those pillars were going to be. And we knew that if we were consistent and clear from the beginning, hopefully that was going to kind of like pay off. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, and take me through then, like getting those those first few sales and like how did it turn into, oh, like this is a real thing. I'm curious about that too. Yeah. I mean, so we launched in November of 2014. So right in time for the holidays. And (laughs) um, we, you know, our first initial collection was eight gift boxes. um, And a few of them were obviously holiday leaning. And, you know, it was just, so our kind of initial marketing strategy was we emailed literally every single person we had (laughs) ever met. Yes. um, You know, kind of like, looked at all of our LinkedIn's and um, kind of looked at our email, um, you know, contact lists and all of that. And just obviously Facebook was bigger back then too. And so it was really just like that typical like grassroots push the night before we launched. And, you know, I, I think it's important to remember as an entrepreneur, like it doesn't have to be this, you know, kind of crazy, like, net or you know marketing push from the beginning it's like how do you use the people and resources that are closest to you to kind of like move you forward so um definitely that was the beginning and um our first I I remember like our first customer was a a mutual friend of ours and she bought like every single box which was so incredible and then I remember exactly and then I remember having um you know our first sale that was not somebody we knew and it was just like the most incredible feeling of like wow we've actually reached somebody outside of our network (laughs) and so it was it was awesome and and so I would say we we started to see a lot more growth about six months in um you know it takes it takes some time to ramp up 
was that is that just kind of organic through people just loving the product, sharing with their friends, telling telling others about it? Like, is that how you got to like, that kind of growth in, in six months? Yeah, I would say that we kind of are lucky because our brand is inherently viral. You know, it, the sender and the recipient are two different customers. And so we sort of have that that built in. And so we thought a lot in the beginning about like, how do we make sure that it's a shareable moment and something that, you know, the relationship is the most important thing, but how do we kind of take it beyond just like that personal experience to something that people would actually want to share um, on social. So definitely that was the beginning uh, kind of uh, way of thinking about it. Yeah. And to that point of the brand, just real quick, I'm curious, Box Fox is, is the name, obviously. did you, Was that an easy thing to come come to a conclusion on with the three of you or like how to, you know, going through that process? Because it, it can seem like a small thing like, oh, it's our name. We'll figure it out real quick. Some people figure it out in like a day and some people take weeks to figure out how was it for you? Just curious. It was, it wasn't like, it was a day. It was so easy. It wasn't even a day. I think it was like five minutes. We just <laughs> kind of were, we're like, we know we want box in the name. And we were sort of like thinking about it. And then we just liked how it sounded. And we liked the idea of like the Fox being kind of like quick and nimble and that sort of like felt true to our brand. Um, so yeah, so it was really easy and same with our logo. Chelsea designed it and it's her writing and it was a super, super seamless process. So yeah, we, we got lucky in that sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, brand is so huge, especially in something like this, it seems like. And what what other things were you kind of thinking about in regards to the brand early on? Like, what did you want to like stand for? Like, how did you want to kind of uh, shape that? I'm curious because you see some of the brands now and they're so well, well known across different industries. Like, oh, they just, you can tell which ones are which. Like, how did you kind of think through that kind of process early on? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I mean, I think for for me personally, I come with a brand strategy background. So everything that I kind of was thinking about from the beginning were like, what are our kind of values and pillars and things that are going to kind of stand the test of time? Like what what is Box Box from a kind of consumer experience perspective? Why are we kind of in the market and why now and asking questions like that. So that was sort of the process. And in terms of answering those questions, I think we felt like, you know, we didn't invent gift boxes, obviously, and we didn't invent gifting, but it was like, how do we reinvent that experience for the modern age? And so how do we kind of take um, this sort of like archaic practice and make it, you know, relevant to today's customers with our product mix? Um, kind of our UX and our web experience, as well as, you know, taking the the pain point of going to the post office out of the equation. Mm, yep. So <laughs> it was really like, how do we combine that? And then still keeping it very personal, because I think the biggest thing with gifting that we had seen prior to launching was, you know, of course, there, there are all of those corporate gift ba- baskets and, you know, Harry and David's of the world and all of that. And of course, there's a place for those and and they have their own markets. But I think for us, it was like, how do we step away from that and make something a lot more modern that we knew customers with our same kind of taste would actually want to gift their friends and be proud to gift their friends and family. Absolutely. And and you mentioned there's three co-founders. So like, especially early on, even in those first six months to maybe even a year, like, how did you decide on what roles each person had, responsibilities of each uh, person on the team? Because there's so many different things to work on in a business. Like, how did you go through that process of deciding that? Yeah, absolutely. So at the beginning, it was definitely all hands on deck. I mean, I think (laughs) we were just kind of like, there were so many 
questions that needed to be answered that really took all three of us. So I think, you know, in, in building a brand, it's really important to have everybody aligned on kind of what I was talking about, like the brand DNA and, um, you know, just those early decisions of like, what is our product line? What partners do we want to include? How do we want to talk to customers? Like all of those bigger questions. And so it was a really fun first year and a half. I mean, it's still very, very fun, but I think that, you know, it, that it changes in terms of like what problems you're solving for. So I would say for the first year and a half, it was all kind of really all hands on deck. And then over time, we realized kind of what our unique strengths were and also how those aligned with the needs of the business. So we got very lucky. People always ask, like, <laughs> how, you know, how do you work with three co-founders and how do you not like step on each other's toes? And I think, I don't know how this worked out, um, but we're, <laughs> you know, between the three of us, I would say Chelsea is super, super design oriented and kind of that creative aesthetic kind of thinker. And that's how she naturally is in the world. Very visual. I am very kind of strategic and I'm always thinking about kind of the longer tail vision and um, kind of, the, like I said, the brand as a whole and its kind of place and culture. And then Jenny is super, super operational and kind of very into that nitty gritty um, kind of day to day, like what needs to happen today. And so it's when you combine all of that, I think you have people that are looking at each challenge very differently. And that's really helpful in kind of propelling our growth. So I guess to answer your initial question, at first, it was all of us. And then over time, we were like, okay, what are the things that we naturally kind of gravitate towards? Yeah, absolutely. And and with it too. So how did you all decide like to go full time into this? Like at what, at what point did you get to the point of like, yes, this is our full time gig? Was it, it wasn't from the start, right? Like how did that evolve? Yeah, it wasn't from the start. So um, Chelsea was the first to kind of quit her job. So we were all working in advertising and she quit her role in 2015. And so she was like, I'm going to go for this full time. And at that point, basically our strategy was as we grow and as we become, you know, able to have the company sustain, you know, support us, we'll kind of quit in, in accordance to that. And so it wasn't like all at once. Um, we felt like we wanted to be a little bit more conservative with that approach. And so it worked out because Chelsea was the first she was kind of working on it, um, you know, full time for about six months. And then Jenny followed. And then I followed about eight months later um, in 2016. So it was sort of a domino effect. Um, and that felt great because it felt like we were able to give to the business what it needed and nurture it, you know, as we were still kind of supporting ourselves with other jobs. So yeah, it wasn't... Um, you know, it worked out for us. I think if people ask me, I always say like, you'll kind of know what that tipping point is. Like, again, for us, it was about when we started to see a lot more demand from customers and we sort of got more press and things like that. It just felt like the right time to do that. Yeah. And looking at the, the press side, I think, so I think it's it was a Forbes article or something said like 2017 did like 2.2 million in revenue and then we're on track for like six plus in 2018. Uh, and I'm assuming it grown since like getting to that point, like how did that change or evolve uh, the business or how you thought about the business as it grew to, you know, multi-million dollar revenue? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it, it forces you to get more kind of buttoned up with everything that you do. And so I think, 
we always have kind of that grassroots mentality and, and we actually are completely bootstrapped financially. So we've never raised any outside capital or anything like that. And that's really kind of part of the ethos of the company as well. Like we just feel like we can solve a lot of problems head on, um, which is, it's very roll up your sleeves, which I personally love. And is kind of a, um, like an extension of the co-founders, the way we, we live our lives, I guess. Um, but I think that in terms of, you know, our, our growth and the way that we, that we changed as we sort of took in more revenue, I think we just got a lot more process oriented. Uh, we definitely, I think in terms of hiring, you know, prior to kind of reaching that million dollar or $2 million revenue mark, we were sort of relying a lot on our personal networks to find candidates to fill roles. Um, and that just felt like it was, you know, we were trying to build a really great company culture and build a lot of trust within our employees and kind of like foster a really, really good work environment, which is still very important to us. But I think we realized over time, it's like, we can hire great people that ultimately know, kind of have that industry expertise and a lot of experience. Um, and still maintain that that culture that we were striving for. So that was probably the biggest way that we changed was in terms of processes and hiring. Yeah. And then one thing too, you mentioned with the press as well, like take me through that and like, how did that change? How did that change the business? Once you get, you know, getting articles or getting featured in different press, like how, was first of all, I guess I'm wondering, it was that like very intentional on your part and like really trying to pursue those opportunities. And then how did that change things like after? Yeah, so we um, we did work with a few different PR agencies um, over the course of the past six years. So we we aren't currently working with one, but we we have in the past, and so it was definitely intentional. Um, you know, I actually have a PR background. That's what I studied at USC. So I I know the value of PR and kind of like articles and press yeah. as a credibility kind of source. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think that, so we, we definitely were like, that is where we want to allocate paid, you know, marketing support. Um, but I think over time we realized that we weren't necessarily getting the type of coverage that we felt like we, we were going to benefit the most from. So I think at the beginning it was important to be top of mind and kind of be in listicles around gifting and things like that. Um, and then over time we're like, we, we think the pivot needs to be more on our company story and, and things of that nature. So that's a little bit more long lead and more strategic. Um, and so we're, we're sort of thinking through that plan now, but in terms of how that affected the business, I mean, definitely just having more, you know, more eyeballs, I think getting uh, different demographics and, and different types of customers on the site was awesome. I mean, the person that is reading, Forbes is probably going to be very, very different than, you know, a person that follows us on Instagram. I mean, potentially. So, um, so yeah, so I think it was great to kind of get, get different customers, um, you know, aware of the brand. And I will say another side of the business for us is um, B2B corporate gifting. And so press became very, very important in trying to kind of get um, our, our foothold in, in that market as well. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And on that kind of similar similar vein, you mentioned like this is like one of your strategies for like customer acquisition being kind of the PR side, which you can clearly see how that would be helpful for a company, especially as you're trying to tell your story. Like, how else have you thought about kind of customer acquisition and what different channels have you used, whether it be paid or organic? I'm curious about that too. Yeah. So we actually didn't do any sort of paid social until last year, social or digital. So it was all organic. Um, which, you know, I, for me, I always give people the advice of if you can do that and you can be consistent, do it, you know, try to kind of like exhaust that as an option until it becomes like, okay, no, we really need to like, we're not seeing, you know, any kind of lift from this anymore. Like we need to go in on paid. So that, you know, that's been, that's been great for us as we've sort of matured and, and we, you know, we're five at that point, we're five years in. Um, so that, that's big. And then, um, for us though, email marketing is probably one of our biggest marketing tools. And so with that, I think we've done a lot of sort of, um, cross promotional, uh, you know, partnerships to, to grow that email list. And it's just a huge tool in terms of telling our story and sort of like longer lead content with photography. Obviously it's a direct kind of experience in terms of reaching customers. And we also see that lift uh, and those conversions come come through pretty well. So email is huge for us. And then last year, we also, or sorry, two years ago, also launched the Box Fleet, which is our loyalty program. And so with us, um, you know, again, less, I guess, mar- a marketing tool, but more of like, how do we kind of leverage the fact that we don't consider ourselves a product brand, but rather a service? And kind yeah. of like reward our customers for their loyalty as, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something, a couple of notes on that. So I know like the Morning Brew like newsletter, they have mm-hmm. a referral program where it's super easy to refer friends and they have all these different gifts and everything. And that was actually a big part of them getting over 2 million subscribers. Uh, I remember hearing, I, I interviewed Austin Reef, one of the co-founders, but then they also had talked about that after like, yeah, this the referral program was so huge for them. And then I also used to be at an e-commerce company, Clark Toys, and we did so much with the email marketing side of things. And when you do the paid, like you mentioned, eventually getting into the paid side of it, then the paid just feeds into the newsletter because people are hearing about you and then they sign up and then you have their news, their email and then just a cycle of, of helping the company grow, which I imagine was really helpful for you. Exactly. I, I love the morning brew and that's such a great example. I think the easier you can make it and kind of um, just really try to reward reward your loyal customers. I mean, they're your biggest advocate. So we definitely find that that is a great um, strategy for retention. Yeah, actually, I want to dive into that a little bit more with the uh, the loyalty kind of program you established. Were you considering other ways of, of managing it and kind of, of running it? And like, how did you how did you picture that um, that looking like in terms of what that referral program would be for you? Because there's different options for for how to run it. Like, how did you decide on that? Yeah. So for us, it really was about kind of like um, a tiered, a tiered kind of system. And so we wanted to have people level up into the different um, levels, I guess. And we actually modeled it on um, a combination of like Sephora, Starbucks and Nordstrom loyalty, all brands that we are all fans of. So, (laughs) um, you know, and and are all loyal customers of. So we we knew the programs well. Um, But yeah, so I think that it was really about trying to build in kind of like rewards at each level and really trying to make it um, something that our customers would 
you know, be excited about. So whether it was free shipping at a certain level or like unlocking sales early or things like that, we were just trying to think about like, what do our customers care about and how do we offer that within this program? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of different different ways I'm seeing on the website too, just uh, to, people can do to get more credits or whatever it be towards towards products and even like social, like sharing on social and those types of things. And Exactly. It was, it was definitely trying to like gamify it a little bit, um, which I think it, a lot of kind of the, the research talks about that's, that's a really kind of good way to do it. Yeah. And one thing we haven't talked about yet, which we want to dive into now is the products. There's so many different products and ways of going <laughs> about it. How do you look at now product sourcing, which ones you're going to have as options? Because there are also different options for just shopping alone or gifting, or then you have boxes that are kind of pre-built or build your own. Like, how do you look at products? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely all we think about. (laughs) And I think um, for us, at the beginning, it was thinking about like, who are our like dream brands and partners that we just absolutely love that we feel like are just best in categories. So whether that was a Valespa candle or Comparte's chocolate, Rifle Paper Co. stationery, like really thinking about category leaders um, that our demographic would be very interested in. Um, Over time, it's really kind of trying to figure out like what are kind of brands that are well-designed, well-priced and, um, you know, really kind of like form meets function for us. And so that's kind of like our filter for everything. We also really try to look at the types of, um, you know, the actual people behind these brands. And so like what, you know, who are these creators trying to support small businesses as much as possible and kind of like underrepresented creators as well. So we really, that that's huge in terms of our philosophy. And, and I would say that's a shift we've made over time because we know kind of like we have a lot of purchasing power and we kind of are ordering at large scale across both the B2C side of the business and B2B. So as we've grown, we've really tried to find partners that can grow with us and that we also want to help grow. On that note too. So how difficult is it to have such a different assortment of products, especially when it comes to the boxes and like quantities and everything? Is it, what are the challenges that come along with that? A lot of challenges. <laughs> um, I think, you know, when we, when we started, it was just, we just didn't think about kind of all the, the operational kind of knowledge that would have to go, you know, that would have to accompany having such a wide assortment of inventory to your point. And also the net, the other layer of that is kidding. And the idea that like, you know, when, when one item in a box is sold out, for example, a ready to ship box, like that entire box is sold out. And how do we kind of manage all the different moving pieces? So it is crazy. Jenny is amazing. And she's kind of the head of that. And, um, she, she just thinks that way. And so it's, again, going back to kind of like dividing roles and responsibilities, like it's amazing because that is literally how her mind works. <laughs> um, but I think for us, it's just been creating our own systems. And I think that that's really, it's really interesting because we've seen a lot of competitors crop up in the space um, who are kind of just creating gift boxes and, you know, looking shockingly close to ours and, <laughs> and, you know, and I think that it's, again, we didn't create gifting, we didn't invent gift boxes, anything like that. But I think the part that differentiates us is we're really thinking long term about like creating 
systems that are going to power our growth. So again, to the inventory point, I mean, I think that that's like definitely something that is unique to our company is we've kind of figured out the systems for inventory that allow us to carry so much at once, you know, um, and um, allow us to kind of have the assortment that we do. So I think when people see gift boxes and they look so beautiful and so, you know, well-designed and things like that, they don't necessarily think about all the operational pieces that have to go into getting that gift box on your doorstep. And I think that is our true kind of differentiator, um, you know, within the competitive set. Yeah. And actually, so about three years ago, let's see, 2017, we were doing a subscription box for a company I was at too. And it was like those logistical nightmares of product sourcing and then the amount, uh, so many headaches, so many late, late nights trying yeah. to figure all of that shit out. You're just like, ah, you don't really have like five less of these, but we have so many of these. And like, maybe we do a different box. Or like, how do you want yeah, I'm. I'm. I can only, yeah. <laughs> that was a smaller scale too, so I can only imagine how how it is for you right now. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and with it too, you mentioned co- uh, competition a little bit. Like, how do you how do you look at competition? Uh, is that something you're you're kind of monitoring and see what they're doing, or like just you're worried about only what you're doing? Like, how do you look at competition in general? Yeah, I think when we started, we were definitely more obsessive about the competition, and we would kind of look at what other brands were doing. And if we ever saw somebody, like I said, like creating a gift box that looked like ours or carrying a lot of products that were similar to ours, like it would make us, you know, kind of be like, oh my gosh, like we need to do more. We need to differentiate. (laughs) Like it just, you feel like you're very reactionary. And truly now I think that we are so fortunate to have such a loyal customer base and really kind of who comes to us for our unique kind of product curation, as well as like our, again, our philosophy and our gifting ethos, our sort of brand story, our tone, all of those things. And so I think there's a lot of intangibles that the customer can actually experience that keep us competitive. Um, And so we don't really worry as much about competition on that front. Um, And then, as I mentioned earlier, I think operationally, we feel very, very confident that we're building systems that are scalable and kind of are allowing us to go into territory that I don't necessarily know if another competitor could because we're kind of taking the steps and and laying the groundwork uh, to kind of allow us to scale um, as we as we want. So yeah, kind of both sides of that. Yeah, and and one quick thing too with the products we just didn't get to yet. Um, with the product selection and kind of thinking through which ones you want and everything, how much is like customer feedback taken into account on you know which products you you source and also even like new products potentially as well? Yeah, I mean we definitely ask for customer feedback. Um, are we always say like our DMs are always open and we get a lot of email. Um you know, kind of offerings for different products and suggestions, all of that. So we, we love having open dialogue with our customers because obviously they're going to be able to tell us what they want. Um, but I think it's, it's a balance. So we definitely also want, do have the philosophy of like, how can we turn a product into a gift kind of thing? So like, I think a good example is like, obviously COVID like PPE, like it's not, you know, the sexiest thing in the world. Like people don't love masks or hand sanitizer, but we need those things. And so it's like, maybe a customer wouldn't come to us and say like, I wish I could gift 
you know, a, a hand sanitizer and a face mask and things like that. But like, we were like on top of that early and that's been, you know, those are products we can't keep in stock because people are like, that is a great gift. Or I want to add that to a birthday gift or things like that. So we definitely incorporate that. And then, you know, even again, just kind of trying to anticipate consumer needs before they ask for them. I think we do a really, really good job with that, with our ready to ship collection as well. So it's like, you know, maybe somebody isn't thinking about, a zoom happy hour box, but we created that like at the beginning of the pandemic, because we were like, that's definitely a thing or work from home essentials box, things like that. So it, there's definitely, a, we, we see ourselves as playing a, a key role in kind of bringing products and, and services to customers that they, they didn't know they needed. Yeah. What a, what a time to be adding a, a face mask or hand sanitizer to a gift box. Uh, just a crazy <laughs> situation. Crazy uh, situation. Yeah. And with COVID too, I mean, while we're on that kind of topic, how has that changed your business or your thinking around the business right now? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, we've been very fortunate to have seen just a huge uptick in demand for our products and our service uh, because people, you know, are unfortunately missing some of the most important milestones right now. So whether it's somebody's birthday or, you know, a canceled wedding or, um, you know, a grieving family, that type of thing, like people are really kind of there, there's, a, such a range of, of use cases for our service right now. And so we're very fortunate to be able to be kind of like powering those relationships and, and those moments. Um, I think for us, it's obviously been operationally a challenge in terms of supply chain and just making sure that we can keep, um, keep product in stock because our vendors are obviously all subject to the same kind of conditions we are. And so um, that's been a challenge as well as keeping our employees like healthy and safe. I mean, early on in the pandemic, we had to make some really tough decisions about just maintaining, you know, the safety of our workplace and just making sure we had, um, you know, the fewest amount of people doing, doing the labor as possible. So it was, it was difficult. And I think we've never really experienced something like that as a business as I'm sure every business <laughs> can relate to. Um, but yeah, I think it was, it was definitely a challenging time, but we were in the fortunate position to be kind of like a product and a service that people uh, really could use during this time. Oh yeah. I mean, it seems like the perfect fit for uh, so many different things going on, like sending a gift. And I actually, it's probably about a month ago now I had pneumonia and one of my friends sent me like a really nice gift and just like, Oh wow. Like, thank you so much. But I imagine people just in any circumstance, just trying to get through this, this COVID situation, just having, yeah, even like a little, a gift in in the mail just like can make your day and really kind of change everything um, for just your, your mood and everything with that. So it seems like such a, a useful thing. And, and one thing I wanted to talk about too, was you mentioned having like the corporate clients as well as these other gifts. Like, at what point did that come into play and how, like how big a part of the business is that now? Yeah, so that came into play um, kind of in 2015 around the holidays. We started getting um, clients that basically had been B2C customers. So just, you know, typical online shoppers um, and fans of ours being like, I would love to do this for my company. You know, do you guys do corporate gifting? Can we do branding? Can you guys source specific products? And so it's it really became, I think, to ask, to answer your earlier point, like, Sometimes customers definitely dictate the business and tell you what they need. And so 
once we kind of heard that a few times, we were like, okay, this is another thing we're going to try to crack and figure out and definitely wanted to be very box box. And so we never wanted it to feel super corporate. We wanted it to always feel personal and elevated um, was, you know, as a use we, a word we use 500 times a day. <laughs> so uh, definitely was, was kind of, that was the timing. And, and now, you know, that's about 40 to 50% of our business at any given point. And so it's huge for us. Um, I kind of manage the corporate sales team and, and that whole pipeline. Um, and yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, very different business. And I think for us, corporate gifting is, is always like, how do we bring that human touch to corporate clients and, and how do we make sure that we're able to offer something really unique and special and, you know, honestly kind of anti-corporate um, while still me- making sure we're maintaining the integrity of their brands and kind of telling the story that they want to tell through those gifts. So it's been a really incredible um, you know, chance to grow a very different business. And um, we love it uh, so much. So yeah, and with that being another opportunity to grow, and then having the the typical the normal, normal, I say normal air quotes, the, the, the original uh, side of the business, maybe, um, how are you looking at growth now, like in the future? Like, how are you looking at growth for for BoxBox? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely growing both sides is important to us. I think for us, there's so many different avenues for how we could grow. I think one is thinking about different distribution channels. So we actually launched in Nordstrom and on Nordstrom.com at the end of last year. And so that was really exciting. And we're about to launch. Thank you. Um, We're about to launch on anthropology. And so just kind of thinking about like, how do we get box box in more places and sort of like where it's strategic, where it's kind of going to deliver for both both parties. Um, so that's something huge. And then, you know, I think from a product standpoint and a sourcing standpoint, it's like, how do we either partner with brands that are best in their category? Again, like this is so exciting for us because we're at the scale where that makes sense that we can actually partner, um, you know, and and meet the minimum quantities that, that those brands would have. Um, and also kind of thinking about, sourcing our own products and creating our own sort of like sub brands and things like that. Because I think as we've been in the gifting space for so long, we've be able, we've been able to identify like what are the, the random products and items that just don't exist or exist in a form that doesn't really meet our standards. Yeah. And you, you mentioned kind of like with working with the brands you want to work with, which is a great point uh, to be at now in the business. I mean, can you give us an idea of just like how, how big is Box Box now? Like, how, how where are you at now with the company in 2020? Yeah, so we um, we have 30 employees right now, um, and we will we're hiring, and we're likely going to scale up for Q4 because that's you know obviously our busiest time with the holidays. Yep. Um, and revenue wise, we are on track to do between eight and ten million this year. Obviously, COVID, you know, is it's a confusing <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> outlier. Um, so, so yeah, so we're definitely, you know, in uh, in growth in in a growth stage, and and it feels really exciting. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an exciting time for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned like having like, you only just started like, even like paid acquisition in the last like year, which is incredible to have like five years of just organic growth and getting like multi-million dollar revenue. I mean, is that, is that piece plus, you know, you had mentioned the corporate side wanting to grow that, is that a bigger piece too? Of like where you're, you're going moving forward, doing some more with that and as well as partnerships? Yeah, I think it's, it's all of those things. I mean, corporate is awesome because the same way we think about creating loyalty within our B2C customers, it's definitely a goal for us with corporate clients. Like how do we be your go-to across all the different use cases within your company? So whether it's employee, you know, welcome gifts and onboarding, um, anniversary gifts, your summer party that hopefully, you know, unfortunately got canceled this year. So you want to give gifts instead, Um, you know, end of year gifts, prospecting, client thank yous, all of that. So it's like, we know we can do it all and we can make each experience feel very different and personal. So I think for us, it's growth can come not from always kind of like chasing new opportunities, but from growing the uh, kind of customers and clients that we we have right now. Yeah. And early on, you mentioned kind of your your hand in the branding and vision side of it, of the company. What is the kind of the big vision for BoxFox moving forward? I mean, for us, it's always our mission to be the go-to for gifting. Like that is like our number one kind of like thing that we think about all the time. And so obviously that that's open to interpretation, but I think for us, it's like, how do we just make Box Fox associated with gifting for all occasions? Um, and so to me, I think I see that as like just being in more places and being more accessible to customers at all times. And so always thinking about the user experience, um, kind of like, how do we how do we exist, you know, in a world where everything is kind of digital and we're always on the go? but still kind of maintaining the tangible, real kind of emotion that a physical product can evoke. I mean, I think you just mentioned it. It's like that feeling of getting something in the mail and knowing that somebody's thinking about you. And obviously all of our gifts are top with a handwritten note. So we're kind of at this really interesting like juxtaposition of the digital and the physical and kind of like for us, how do we merge those two and always deliver um, like an incredible experience? No pun intended, but <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. of course. And, and you mentioned uh, early on, you know, six years ago, you weren't an entrepreneur, you were entrepreneurial, maybe thinking, but you hadn't been an entrepreneur at that point. Now, six years in with a multi-million dollar business is, is it what you expected being an entrepreneur? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't get asked that a lot. Uh, <laughs> It is, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. So I think there's people that are like, oh, like that want to be an entrepreneur. So I feel like they, they see it as like kind of a a job title and, and, you know, not to knock that at all. totally makes sense. And they kind of have a vision for what that will look like, um, you know, and how their life will play out if they become an entrepreneur. For me, it was like, I was really, I still, I think like chasing this idea and kind of like building an idea. And so to me, I don't really think about like, what does this match kind of like what I thought about in terms of like a career path, because I've just always been like obsessed with solving this problem. Um, And so, yeah, I I don't, I don't think I had expectations. And so now I'm like, okay, this is, 
this makes sense. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not how I, I saw like my, um, my career path going, because like I mentioned earlier, I'm a very, like used to be a very, you know, color in the lines kind of person and, and wanted to kind of move up the corporate ladder. Um, and so this is obviously very different than that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so grateful. And I, I don't think I could ever go back to working for someone else. So. <laughs> well, hopefully I'm, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> Based on BoxFox doing so well, it seems like, and you know, with, with COVID changing things, but still with, with growth over the years, I mean, that's great to see. Uh, one thing I'm always wondering about too, is there any book or, or podcasts or anything like that's helped you in terms of, of learning and growing as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, my favorite podcast is How I Built This, which, yes. you know, I'm sure a lot of people listen <laughs> to, but I, I really love it. I love the storytelling. I love kind of like the nuggets of wisdom in there. Um, I think it's just done really well. Um, I love the book Shoe Dog. Um, I just so admire Phil Knight and like the whole story. And it just talks so much about like grit and like just Nike's entire kind of like trajectory. So I really love, I love that one. I think like in general, I don't think, I'm not a huge subscriber to like just straight up business books because I think stories and kind of like the wisdom that can come from that is going to be so much more powerful than like, here's how to do business. Um, you know, so, <laughs> yes. so that's my personal philosophy. Um, but for management, I think radical candor has been like a game changer for all three co-founders. Um, you know, cause we just, we needed to kind of learn how to, how to deliver feedback and things like that. Um, and so that, that's a really good one. Yeah, the, I think it was, I think Lauren Brill, who was just on the, the show, her episodes 124, mentioned Shoe Dog as well as one of the, the books. And it, it's such an incredible book. I've read it a couple of times now because just, yeah, the story is just so good. And you, know, you look at this iconic company and how it actually started. And there's so many details and nuggets of wisdom in there that are, that are incredible. One thing too, with, with every entrepreneur, I, I'm always curious on the schedule. Take me through a day. Now this is COVID, so maybe it's a bit different. <laughs> so, but take me through like one of your work days from beginning to end, Sabina. Yeah, I um, so I'm definitely a morning person. So um, I will get up usually around six, sometimes five thirty. I, I love the morning, um, <laughs> and I will um do a workout. Um, I always meditate. Lately, I've been going on like a walk and kind of meditating on my walk. Um, and then I will, you know, get ready for the day, all that, try to eat breakfast a little bit later and coffee a little later. Um, and basically for me, it's always a mix of meetings, um, with my sales team. So really trying to understand like, what is the corporate pipeline and, um, how can I help, you know, usher them forward within their projects, answer any questions, um, working with corporate production. So the people who are actually helping make those corporate orders come to life. Um, and then we have a lot of just founder meetings. And so talking bigger picture, we're still always involved in launching every single um, ready to ship box and collection. So like maybe we're meeting on the summer collection or holiday, things like that. So it, it's hard to say. I think that was kind of all over the place, but I think that generally we we try to have you know, meetings only when we need them. We don't, you know, have superfluous meetings. Um, and then there's a lot of just kind of like time where I'm, I'm thinking long-term about the business. Uh, I spend a lot of time obviously in Google sheets and things like that, as well as 
keynote is huge <laughs> for us. So I brought that from my advertising background, but that's how we make all of our decks because we're just such a visual company. And so everything we do is very, very visual and keynote is, is huge for that. And then for you, because again, it's always different, but how do you decide when, when the day is quote unquote done from work? Does it does it always spew into the evening and just throughout the entire day? Is there a certain stopping point? How do you decide on that? Because it can be a very blurred line. It can be a super blurred line. <laughs> um, some, day, some days are better than others. I think I do try to stop, um, you know, at six o'clock if I can, um, you know, and and really like I try to power down in terms of like, okay, what are the things like I know, I try to set myself up for the next day. So it's like, if I'm in the middle of something, like how can I reach a stopping point that's going to make it easier to pick up the next day? Uh, because that also makes me feel better about powering down for the current day. <laughs> um, so, so that's kind of like a strategy I use, but I do try to kind of turn off. And then of course, there's, there's things that come in after that. And I kind of address things as needed, but gotten a lot better about kind of separating professional and personal life and, and trying to make sure I'm carving out time to do the things I love to do and, and the things I care about outside of work. So it's tough. And I think most entrepreneurs can relate to that, especially when you're working from home. But I think it's just like trying to set those boundaries is, is helpful. Yeah. And for you, Sabina, what do you do to, to recharge and kind of unwind from work? Yeah, I um I kind of mentioned this, but I love to work out um and be outside, like hike and and things like that. Um, I also love to cook, and I definitely prefer like a leisurely uh, cooking adventure, like on a weekend, not necessarily like a thirty minute <laughs> dinner situation if I can. Hold on, but one sec, one sec. A leisurely cooking okay. adventure. What is that? that I like just. <laughs> something more like looking at a recipe I haven't done before and like trying to spend like the hours in the kitchen that it might take. I like love doing that. It's very relaxing for me, but I think trying to get dinner on the table in 30 minutes is like <laughs> when I actually don't love it. It's just like stressful. So I do try to meal prep for that reason. And then I just, I'm very social. Like I love spending time with my friends and going to restaurants in LA, which I'm definitely missing so much oh my right gosh, now. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so many. Uh, I know. And then, yeah, I'm huge on travel. I like always try to find a way to take some sort of trip or a few trips a year if I can. Um, like work in that way is, is more flexible now. And so I am able to leave you know, here and there and missing travel as well right now. So Yes. All the, all the things, Sabina. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> tough. And this, especially even like living in LA, like a lot of things that make LA great. I mean, obviously every city has the restaurants are closed and everything or some are open now, but what makes LA great having those different food scenes and like the beaches and everything. And like the, those all in question during COVID is yeah, a small sacrifice, but still is a sacrifice. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And and for you, for you, then looking kind of back with uh, the last six years as well, like what would you tell other other entrepreneurs about you know succeeding as an entrepreneur, um, just from your experience? Yeah, I think something that when I started, and and this probably goes back to sort of my personality is. I just thought that there was like a playbook for success. And like, I was like, okay, I need to like, find it. I need <laughs> to like, figure this out. And I think that part of that is like the media kind of reinforcing stories about companies that are unicorns and raising tons and tons of capital. And then, you know, having a growth acquisition manager and doing it, you know, this way. And like, that is like, you know, maybe 1% of, of all companies. Like it's, 
it's just like that is what we hear and that is also what's most interesting and like sells the best the most books and things yeah. like that and so I feel like over time I've realized like there is no playbook and like you don't need to do it anyone else's way um and obviously that begs the question like okay then then how do I do it and I think <laughs> yep. for me the the best the best approach is like figure out what question you need to solve today and take one step towards answering that question today. And like, if you just do that, you'll realize like five years later, six years later, like that's all you've, you've done and you've, you've been able to grow a brand. So that's like the most tangible advice I can give somebody, which is like a good example is like a question I might've asked six years ago is like, how do I register for an LLC? You know? And so that is like a very tangible thing you can do today and register. And then you're going to have another question after that, which is like, do I need a lawyer? Answer that question. You know what I mean? And so I think that like, if you're asking the right questions and finding ways to kind of build brick by brick, like you are kind of writing your own playbook and realizing that like, there isn't one playbook for every business. It's going to be such different different questions and and you're going to be kind of the expert at answering what you need to answer. Yeah. And even from the hundred plus interviews I've done and talking to different entrepreneurs, every step of the way, there's just going to be different questions. Like even the ones who are doing a hundred million dollars in revenue, like they're still have questions. They're just different because now they're at a new mm-hmm. level and it's like, okay, well now I'm a company that's, I'm always thinking of Vanessa Dew's episode from, from Healthy Kombucha. You know, they're a hundred million dollar revenue company now. And now it's like, okay, what's the next step? And they just launched new products uh, recently, like a soda or something, I think even this week. And it's like, oh, that's their mm-hmm. next thing. And then they'll have another next thing and there'll be more questions around that next thing. So it's like, I love that advice that you mentioned because you start where you are. If you're just starting out, you're going to have those sets of questions. As you get to the next level, more questions and it kind of just keeps evolving the whole the whole time. Totally. And I think the main thing too is like not asking questions that are completely unanswerable. Like I think to me, it'd be like, if, you know, in year one, I was like, okay, well, how do we get into Nordstrom, you know? And it's like, that's not what the focus should be. And I I think it's like, how do you, how do you start where, to your point, like start where you are and, and know that that, that will happen. Like, honestly, Nordstrom reached out to us and that was only because we had built a brand brick by brick and something that was very stable and consistent. And then there was something for them to, to actually get excited about, you know, but if we had come up, come to them, you know, year one, even if we had all these grand plans, like we hadn't done anything, you know? And so I think it's, it's important to kind of like level set and be like, okay, what, what can I do today? And then like, like knowing that that is eventually going to get you where you want to go. Yeah, I mean, I imagine box box year one versus five or six, much different from a leverage perspective on that too, of getting access to brands that you really want to work with when you've shown how much you've done now. It's like, yeah, it's much easier at that point. And and Sabina, where can people go to learn more about you and all you're doing with BoxFox? Yeah, so definitely, you know, visit our website, shopboxfox.com. Follow us on Instagram. It's just at shopboxfox. Um, and then get on our email list. We ha- um, send really great emails and and we don't spam your inbox or anything. So very important. (laughs) Awesome. I'll make sure to link that all up in the show notes as well. Just go grind.com slash podcast. And Sabina, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It was so great chatting with you. Great questions. Thank you for listening to this episode of just go grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. 
The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.